So the thing I want to uh, talk with you about this morning, which you might not have thought about the end of this year, is this. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. Okay, let me, let me say that again. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. So that's like a total important message at the beginning of 2015. And this message is true in our individual lives, and it's true in our congregational life together, and it's a biblical uh, principle that God has put in place. Think of this. Think of the Old Testament, uh, especially the prophets. The words of the Old Testament and the prophets, God prepares his people for the moment when he sends Jesus. So he just doesn't send Jesus to an unprepared people. He's like for hundreds of years been communicating to them, hey, there's a Messiah coming. Hey, there's a Savior coming. Hey, and even then many people missed it, but he had worked to prepare them for that moment. Think about Noah and the flood. God just didn't tap Noah on the shoulder the morning of the flood and go, hey, Noah, I'm kind of surprised there's a flood coming. And like, we're not quite prepared. No, what did he do with Mo? What did he do with Noah? He said, Noah, I need you to build this kind of a, this kind of a boat, this kind of an ark. And it needs to be this size. You need to get started now. And you need to gather some animals. You see, God was ready. There are no surprises to God. There's nothing that's going to happen in 2015 that's going to surprise God. And what has God done to this point in your life? He's gotten you ready for 2015. All kinds of examples. I could go on all morning about this. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. Think of Abraham. Abraham's life was to prepare him to be a leader, the father of a nation, the great father of a nation. And then God said, and it's your nation, your people, for whom the Savior of the world is going to come. And remember the story where God tested Abraham? And this is before he uh, named him father. He says, take your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. I'll tell you about Remember that? So uh, Isaac and Abraham are walking up the mountain. And Abraham looks at his dad and says, where's the sacrifice? And his dad says, hey, God will will supply the sacrifice. And then he he lays his son Isaac down and he raises his knife and he's ready to take Isaac's life. And God says, no, 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 no. And then here's the verse. God says in this moment, basically what he's saying is, you're ready now. I've prepared you now. He says, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And what's he saying? He's saying, Abraham, your past obedience... Your past listening to me has prepared you for this moment. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what's ahead. Think of Moses. God just didn't go to him one day and say, Hey Moses, I want you to lead my people out of slavery and exile in Egypt. No! What did he do? When Moses was a baby, he put him in a basket. And the king's daughter found him and adopted him. And Moses was raised in the king's court. All of that, years and years of being raised in the king's court, for what purpose? For the time, for the moment when God tapped him on his shoulder and said, I need you to go to the king of Egypt. Do you see the principle? That's, it's all over in the Bible. God isn't surprised and God doesn't, um, he might, we might be surprised, but he's prepared us for this moment. King David. Goliath's out in the field. 
And the king says, what makes you think you, as a shepherd boy, can take Goliath? And what does he say? He says, God has prepared me. Yes, I'm a shepherd, but I killed the bear and I killed the lion. And I will kill Goliath. And all of that to prepare David to be king. God uses John the Baptist, same way, exact same way. Are you seeing the theme here? John the Baptist, he comes, he's born before Jesus, and he's there to like lead people to the message of Jesus. And then at that moment, John says, I must be less, Jesus must be more. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what's ahead. The 11 disciples. I mean, I could go all morning, right? The 11 disciples, Jesus like chooses them and calls them out. Then they're teached, then he teaches them. Then he like gives them assignments and they go do them and he comes back and he teaches them some more and he preaches and he does miracles and he gets them ready. And then he says this in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's in the past. That's the preparation. I've got all authority. Now, therefore, disciples, you go now. You've been prepared. You make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And why could they do this? Why has the church thrived? Because God wasn't surprised by what they faced that next year. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. It's a biblical principle. It's true for our church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's true for our lives. We're going to talk about that. It's been true for me as a husband. Now, sometimes we don't listen real well. And we don't actually learn the preparation, God. We're we're a little too surprised. So um, I was probably, as a husband, some of you know, I got married at 20, quite young. And I was raised in a tough, uh, all-male family, only brothers. And we were all wrestlers. And um, we did not hang out with women very much. And when we did, it wasn't that successful. Um, So I probably wasn't paying enough attention in learning. So here I am, a husband. I got married at 20. I'm a husband. Um, My wife, Linda, is working to put me through college. Um, We're in college, and we're poor, and we've been going to the laundromat. So one day we go and buy a used washer and put it in the basement. And I'm at work that next day, working part-time. And my wife of 20 calls me and says, Dave, you know that washer we bought in the basement? Every time I touch it, I get a big shock. So I'm like doing my wrestler thing, my boy thing, my male thing, and I'm going, what would I do? What would I do? I'm not thinking of my tender, precious, lovely wife at home. And I say, you know, in the corner of the basement, I've got some rubber hunting boots. Why don't you put those on and finish the wash? I think that'll be okay. And literally she does it and it works. So a week later, we're telling my dad, that story. And I see this weird look on his face. He's going, what kind of a husband have I trained Dave to be? Right? Now, God was preparing me. That's part of my preparation for the sensitive man you see before you now. <laughs> One night early in our marriage, again, the husband thing, literally early, growing up in a family of all-male wrestlers, tough family, uh, My wife started crying in bed one night. I had literally never been, literally, literally, never been around a woman who was crying. And so I said to her, in my caring, sensitive way, what's wrong? And she said back to me, I have no clue, I don't know. She had to keep my arm from reaching the phone and calling 911. I literally thought that's what you would do. Call 911, something's up here, right? 
Now, that wasn't, a God was trying to help me, but it wasn't going so well as a grandpa. As a, as a dad, uh, you, you kind of know this about us, uh, we had our four kids real close uh, in 33 months. We had four kids in 33 months. I was thinking about this yesterday. That's two years, nine months. And yes, we had twins. So we had these four kids all in diapers, and um, that was a good training time for me. I actually got a, uh, a uh, an award at an assembly in our high school, and the school board president brought it up and gave it to me, and it was a pillow for when I fell asleep in class. Um, I mean, we were just beat all the time, tired all the time. Uh, uh, my wife would wake me up in the middle of the night to help with the kids, and I, like, wouldn't get the message clear, and I'd go down and take a shower thinking it's morning, and she'd be laying in bed saying, why are the kids still crying? And I'd be downstairs in the shower getting ready for school at 2 a.m. Um, all that stuff going on. But it was great training and preparation for me. But it, it's preparation. You know, you had to change diapers. You had to feed babies. You had to do all this stuff, you know, because we had four of them. So the spouses of my children, when they brought the grandkids to my house, they didn't know my preparation. And so the first, when Aaron brought the first grandbaby, it's like, I'll change Charlie's diaper. I'll feed him. I'll walk him. I'll put him to bed. I'll handle it when he's crying because I've been prepared. I know how to do this stuff. When he first started eating baby food, all the kids, I like know how to feed them. Like, I've been, I've been through this, right? And so it was fun, but it was hard for the spouses of our kids to actually grasp. Here's this old grandpa who can actually do this stuff, but it's in preparation. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. Now I want to take us to 2015. The Church of Jesus has a 2,000-year history of preparation for this morning. I want you to get this. The Church of Jesus is exploding and expanding across the world. It's actually growing the fastest in places where it's opposed and illegal. And it still grows. House churches in China. The number are exploding. The number of Christians in Africa. I don't know if you uh, heard some of the interviews of the family members of this Asian flight that went down. Did you hear some of those this week? And they said, we're trusting God. We believe God is in this. God is going to help us. For 2,000 years, Jesus has been building his church for this moment. And there's nothing that's going to happen in 2015 that's going to surprise God. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church of Jesus Christ should not be afraid in January 2015. Fear should not be a big part of our life. Because God has been preparing his church for this moment for 2,000 years. And we need to celebrate that. And then there's another thing we want to celebrate this morning. God has been giving Orchard Hill Church a 53-year history to be ready for January 2015. A 53-year history of learning and growing and to prepare us for this moment that we can faithfully live for him as a congregation. We had a team meeting to put together a strategic ministry plan. We have a team that's been meeting for, I don't know, six or eight or ten months. And it's led by Jeff Mickey and then Doug Tinson and I and Laura Hoy and Alice Shirey are on the team. And we, we met with all, all of our staff. We've met with our board. We've met with uh, outsiders in our community who are stakeholders but don't attend Orchard. And we've been like uh, trying to reword and re-clarify the True North Mission Orchard's had for 30 years. 
Thirty years ago, we did the mission statement called uh, Helping People Become Fully Devoted Followers of Christ. And we've understood that uh, we needed some new clarity on that. And so this morning, and you've seen it, it's been printed, and we've talked about it a little bit. Uh, we have this, our orchard, our new mission mandate is this, helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to break, to um, bless a broken world. And it's a three-part missional mandate, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute. But first, before I talk about this, I want to talk about a little bit, remind you of our history. Um, uh, Al Moss was our founding pastor, and he was at Orchard founding the church from 63 to 69. And he was definitely a biblical evangelist. He gathered 24 families from eight different denominations and two non-church families to be the beginning of Orchard Hill Church in 1963. And Al Moss was focused upon Jesus and upon his word, and we will not stray from that. In the atrium a week ago, we had a visitor family, a visitor family, and they said, Dave, just net out for me. Give me the Cliff's notes of what is it that Orchard believes. And it was so fun in the atrium. I said, well, it's really quite simple what Orchard believes. We lift up Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior of everyone in the world who takes him in faith. And we lift up the Bible as God's, God's uh, irrefutable guidelines. And he goes, well, don't you have more than that? I said, yeah, you can go on our website and like look at our uh, foundations of faith. He said, anything else? I said, well, if you want to Google the Apostles' Creed, that's the core of what we believe. And that has not changed. None of that has changed in 53 years. That's what uh, uh, Al Moss went door to door in our neighborhood proclaiming. God's word is true and Jesus is Savior. And uh, that God's word is the best and ultimate guide for life and faith. And then I thought of something else as I reflected on that this week that I've never thought about before. When we were at 26 families, we've been using the word big tent church around here for the past five, six, eight years. Big tent church means that if you want to be a part of lifting up Jesus and you want to be a part of lifting up his word and living it out, you're, in, you're welcome here. It doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or Republican, conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter. We're big tent. We're focused on Jesus. And then I got to thinking, doggone, we were a big tent when we were 26 families. Because in 1963, people paid attention to what was on the door of a church. And Baptists and Presbyterians and Reformed and Catholics, they didn't come to the same buildings in 1963. But at Orchard, they did. Why? Because Al Moss went door to door in this neighborhood and gathered people. So even at 26 families... I had never actually seen this before. We were a big tent church, even at 26 families. Once in a while, this is one of the issues we get pushback on around here. It's like, should Orchard, is it okay to be a big tent church? Is it okay to have your arms that wide open? The answer is, we had our arms that wide open at 26 families, and we're not changing today. 1969 to 1980, Bill Rosenberg, our second pastor, focused upon building community and friendship and oneness in our community. The reason I know this, when I was in Youth for Christ, I would come over and Bill would take me to the county-wide ministerial association. And it wasn't a big group, but maybe 10, 15, 20, 20 pastors were there. And at the end of their meetings, every meeting, they would all get, uh, get away from the table, get down on their knees and pray for the Cedar Valley. Pray for the cities. Pray for the officials, pray for the churches. And Bill was a leader in that. 
And he wanted churches to work together. When churches brought the Billy Graham films to the, to the movie theaters, Orchard was in the forefront of that. Uh, when, when, uh, in the 60s, when, uh, or it's been the 70s, when, uh, there was this big push to put a Bible in every home, in every home in the city, Orchard was in front of that. Some of those Bibles were in our attic still. Um, Orchard's been a church that wanted to help our community and build friendship and community. The other thing Bill did so well is he drank coffee in our homes. And he would come if any of you were around when he was here. I mean, my parents even left the church. Uh, to go participate in another church, he just kept coming, drinking coffee and talking. 1981 to 2014, Ed Baker, our third pastor, brought biblical creative communication. And during Ed's reign, beginning in 1981, Orchard grew by eight times its size. And uh, Ed's primary thing I hear talked about a lot, well, one is just his good grasp of the Bible, but the second thing is a keychain key he handed out a number of times to our staff that had a little trinket on it that said, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And if I were to put a theme on Ed's ministry, that's what I would put, whatever it takes. And I watched Ed uh, just learn and grow all the way I mean, he came, he was like really the first youth director because we didn't have any. He was meeting with the youth group. And over time, he just kept handing things off, handing things off, handing things off. He handed off things he loved because he thought it was good for the church. And even as he's now headed into retirement, one of his top questions that he still asks me when, when we're talking about what he might do around here, you know, he's 70, he's retired, he still he taught last Sunday, he'll be teaching all this year as his health remains. One of the key things he keeps asking me is, what's good for the congregation? Don't worry so much about what's good for me and Sally. What's good for the congregation? And I mean, that's the kind of leadership we need, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And then in 85, um, when I came, I came with a verse. I, 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 uh, I came out of Youth for Christ and I came with a verse, 1 Corinthians 9. 22, it says, to the weak, this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Corinthians, and he's telling how he does ministry. And he says, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. He says, I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So Paul says, to those who are under the law, I become as if, as if I'm under the law. And to those who are outside the law, who aren't following the Jewish laws, I, I like relate to them as someone who's outside of the law. I relate to all people so that everyone has a chance to hear and experience the gospel of Jesus. I'm talking about preparation for Orchard to be ready for January. Just want to keep in mind what I'm talking about here. Uh, 1990, one of our elders walks into my office, Nancy Smith. This is probably one of the biggest changes at Orchard and the reason some people coming in can't understand us. And she said to me, she walked in, I, I can remember it as if it were yesterday. She walks in, a big smile on her face. She's just come from a church in Chicago where her kids were attending. And she said, Dave, what do we know about spiritual gifts? And I thought for a minute, and Nancy and I were good friends. I said, Nancy, I think I know nothing about spiritual gifts. Nothing. And she said, well, Dave, I want to show you this verse. And she opened up her Bible. The first Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12.1, we have a slide. Now about spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be misinformed. 
Now, in her Bible that day, it actually said ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. And I had to say to Nancy, Nancy, I am completely ignorant about spiritual gifts. I don't know what they are. I don't know how they work. I don't know if anybody has any. I don't know anything. And then it goes on to say, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. I went into Ed's office. said, Ed, what do you know about spiritual gifts? He said, not enough. He didn't say nothing. Because he's been ahead of me every step of the way. So what happened was, Ed and I and my brother was on staff and Kurt Patterson and Nancy Smith spent three hours a week for several months studying, reading books, learning about spiritual gifts. And it's one of the things that's unique about us and it's one of the things that God has used to get us ready for January 2015. Because it blew me away when I understood, when I actually understood, if I'm working in my giftedness, I'm serving God, and all the gifts are of equal value to God. So I remember the first time I got up in front of the congregation and did you say, did you know the person who cleans the bathrooms are pleasing God and loving God and serving God just as much as the person who preaches the sermon? Did you know that? Did you know that the people parking the cars out in the snow are serving God and loving God just as much as the person up here talking? Did you know that the greeters at the door and the people making coffee and the people in our nurseries right now, when they're operating in their gifts, are doing just as great a service to God and having just as big as impact? And it changed us. It changed us. Our our salary scale, which wasn't that flat, got a lot flatter. Because we understood. We understood that people need to serve God in their giftedness and it shouldn't have that big of influence on their salaries. We understood that teachers should teach and hospitality people should hospitable, whatever that is, (laughs) and uh, lovers of children with gifts in children ought to serve there. We understood that. And it's gotten us ready for January 2015. Let's go back to our mission statement. Helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. So this is what we think we're called to. Let me say a word about next generations. Some people have said, Dave, you can't put this in the mission statement. I mean, people are going to think you just mean kids. People are going to think orchards like too focused on children or teenagers or college students. It's actually not what it says. It says, helping next generations. Now, my next generation, the generation behind me, keeps getting older. Um, I'm going to be at my uncle's funeral tomorrow morning. Uh, he, he died. And uh, there's going to be four generations at the funeral. And each generation is coming to the visitation tonight and the funeral tomorrow, probably hoping to encourage that next generation. So my parents, uh, brothers and sisters, they're going to be there hoping to encourage me challenge me. I'm going to be there hoping to challenge and encourage my children and their cousins. And then they've got their, you know, what, what would have been great-grandchildren to be encouraged. So as a church, what would it look like if every one of us were busy helping next generations? Next generations. Uh, uh, the, uh, the senior ministries around here, Route 55, they've been doing this in spades. They've been leading the parade. 
Because every mission trip they've ever had that I know of was a mission trip to a camp that ministered to kids. Everyone. Now, why did God lead them in this direction? Because that's what he did. And one of the things we learned as we were trying to figure out what these words would be for this is we're not out to create something. We're out to discover what God is already doing. So when you ask people around the Cedar Valley, what is it that Orchard's good at? You know what they say? Next generations and leaders. And they also say having fun together, which kind of surprised us. Helping people, helping next generations. The first ministries Orchard added was a college ministry and a high school ministry. The first big ministries that we hired people to run. Now, encounter and follow Jesus. Let me talk about that a minute. Those words, we worked on those words a long time. We live in a post-Christian culture. A Christian culture where um, uh, a lot of times, a lot of things are accepted, but biblical Christianity is one of the last things invited in. And so in that kind of a culture, we need extra focus on people who are encountering Jesus. Extra events where we're like helping people encounter Jesus, get a right perspective of who Jesus was. Because Jesus is the name that divides. We can do all kinds of prayers in all kinds of public settings and name God. It's offensive when we name Jesus. But we have to keep um, being able to name Jesus and challenge people to encounter and follow Jesus. So the encounter is come to a relationship with him. Take a step of faith towards him. But then the following is like a lifetime of like um, following him, of, of proceeding after him, obeying him, learning from him. So helping next generations encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Here's the first picture we have on the site of Orchard Hill Church. We didn't even have the name of the church. This was in 1961. All there was was like property. Didn't even know the name of the church. And look at the sign. Isn't, isn't it interesting to you? Site of a Reformed church, because we don't know what the name of it's going to be, to serve this community. These, these presentations we're doing today are not new. You could replace to serve this community with to bless a broken world. It's the same idea. To bless a broken world. Isn't that crazy? So we're called to bless the five communities that we're investing in. We're called to bless our neighbors and our workplaces. We're called to bless. God uses all that comes before in preparation for what is ahead. Again, I would invite you, if you want to know more about our plans to do this, live out this mission, I would invite you to this Saturday morning, January 17th. Now, here's the question I want to leave you with today. What, you, what has your unique history prepared you to do for God this year? I just want you to think about that a minute. What has your unique history prepared you to do for God this year? I, uh, I was good friends and a co-worker with Homer Larson at Nazareth Lutheran Church uh, during a lot of the 42 years he was at Nazareth. And he had a couple business guys who would come into his office each, like, one of the first days of January. And they would close the door and they would say to Homer, Homer, what great thing are we called to do for God this year? What great thing are we called to do for God this year? And so that's a question I think we need to be asking as a church congregation. 
What great thing are we called to do for God this year? And I think you want to be asking it as an individual. What great thing are you called to do for God this year? Remembering that nothing that comes in 2015 is of surprise to God. Nothing. If you get a pink slip from work, it's not surprising to God. And he's been working in your life to get you ready for this. If you get a diagnosis that's troubling, that's not surprising to God. He's been preparing you for this part of your life. If you have a new baby and you hold your first new baby, it's not a surprise to God. If you step over that line and become a grandparent for the first time, that's a great line, uh, that's not a surprise to God. If you bury a loved one, it's not a surprise to God. If a brand new opportunity comes in through your business, it's not a surprise to God. What great thing are you called to do for God in 2015? Young families, teachers and coaches, business owners, public officials, firemen, policemen, salesmen, blog writers, moms. What great thing are you called to do for God this year? I'll pray. Dear God, we are so very, very grateful that uh, nothing that's coming in 2015, uh, 2015, is of surprise to you. Nothing that's coming will take you by surprise. Nothing that's coming will be um, too much for you. And Father, you have been preparing us for what's coming. Help us see the preparation. Help us uh, walk forward without fear. Help us celebrate opportunities. Help us see opportunities as opportunities and not as threats. Help us be enthused and excited and joy-filled about what's coming in 2015. Could that mark our lives and could that mark our church, please? In Jesus' name, amen.